2: Ladies and jellyfish, you are listening to Going Off Track. And when I say jellyfish, I mean literal fish with headphones. Actually, they're not fish, rather, they sub, subcutaneous, subcutaneous. I'm making up words now. All right. It's Brad, <laughs> Jonah, and Stephen. Uh, Mike, this week we've sent Mike to Israel um, to study the makings of Krav Maga. He's going to come back and learn how to put everyone in a deadly headlock. So, uh, Mike, get back to report. Um, we should call him and be like, "Mike, how's how's Tel Aviv?" <laughs> and knowing Michael, go, it's awesome.
3: Have you ever been to Tel Aviv?
2: No, have you been to Tel Aviv?
3: I have. But well, don't you have to? Uh, you don't have to. My sister got bat
2: mitzvah there. Oh wow! When I was like 15, isn't it like one of those towns that just doesn't stop partying?
3: Um, I wasn't partying a lot when I was 15. I, I, think, <laughs> I think. I mean, I think going there now, maybe. No, yeah, you were. I remember. <laughs> I remember though all the kids on the trip. Uh, wanted to play like spin the ball or something and there was this girl i think that was kind of had a crush on me and vanessa was like we're all gonna do this do you want to come and i was like i'm gonna watch tv in the room <laughs> <laughs> she's like seriously you sure like everyone else is hanging out i was like nah tv sounds good <laughs> and i feel like not a lot has changed I was like, you want to go to this party i'm like well law and orders on
2: <laughs> and i have a bunch of wheat thins <laughs> i'm good Dude, i talk myself out of everything now based upon distance i'm like oh we're gonna go see this show and i'm like Oh God, I gotta drive. It'll take me an hour to get there. I'll probably play an hour, I'm gonna <laughs> hang out, get a couple of drinks. People are probably gonna talk during the set, which is gonna piss me off. <laughs> I could just stay home and listen to the record.
3: Yeah, I feel like the thing that helped me the most is getting an unlimited metro card. Because when I didn't have one, I'd be like,
1: oh, I don't wanna go visit this person. It's so like,
3: well, that's a four fifty right there. Then I gotta get a beer. That's like another six
2: bucks. I'm already up to ten. Like, I can just stay home. Like,
1: and it'll cost me nothing.
2: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and that's normally what will happen. I remember getting the unlimited card when I first moved here, just not knowing anybody, just thinking I was going to be on the, the subway all the time. So when I moved out to the Burbs, I would still get the unlimited until I realized that I'm just basically just hurling money at the <laughs> transit system.
3: Well, I don't think you, if you live in the East Village, I feel like you don't need one.
2: Yeah. Unless, I guess, you have a job We have to leave the house every <laughs> day. Okay. Well, I had a job. When I, when I had a job and leave the house every day, and, and my wife and I worked at the same place, it was hilarious because she would never get up in time. To walk to the train to get to working time, so we'd always take a five dollar cab oh, ride. God. Yeah.
1: I know
3: that deal. I, yeah. that, that was like me in high school. Vanessa got amazing grades, like honor student, and I was whatever. And uh I would drive her to school when I was like 16 or 17 or 18 and just always late, like didn't care. And she'd be like, I have this AP test. I'm like, all right, whatever. Like, you <laughs> know, like
2: none oh, of that shit matters though, man. I was in I was in AP English government like history and all it did was make it that much harder for me to get into a college when all my friends were in regular history and regular government getting a's and i'm getting c's going this sucks (laughs) yeah totally like my gpa is dropping because they they thought i quote unquote tested out of something i got myself kicked out of ap chemistry Like, like 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 begged and they were like, what, what, you were in AP biology. I'm like, there was less math. That was just cutting into dead things like that. I jam on that. You know, sex ed, I got it. I'm good. You know, but like chemistry, this is all adding and subtracting molecules. Like, I don't get it. And I swear to God, I'm never going to use it. Never going to need it. Are you sure? Yeah, because I'm not going to be an, a
1: chemist. Never going to make a bomb?
2: No. I If I want to make a bomb, that's easy. It's like, um... Charcoal, sulfate, potassium. I learned that from a, uh, a comic book. That's a pipe bomb. Done.
3: <laughs> you, yeah. You know, the only, not the only class, but the class I think that helped me the most that I took in middle school was in fifth, sixth, and seventh grade. They kept changing the year you had to take keyboarding. When it was in fifth grade, you had to take it fifth. when you were in fifth grade. In sixth grade, they moved it, and they kept moving it with my grade. So I Wait, took it three th- years in what? a row.
2: For those of you in the age demographic of Stephen and Brad, what Joan is referring to is typing.
3: Typing. <laughs> we call it keyboarding, though. And we had this... What is that, PC? <laughs> Dude, it was awesome because it was all these games where, like, you had to Keep type... recording because it's on a on a word processor or yeah. a computer at that point? It was on, like, a word <laughs> processor. And, and But there were all these games where, like, you had to type, like, X words per minute. It would tell you. So it was, like, fun. You wanted to get good at it. And I am, like, an amazing typist now. Like, I never have to look at it. I just fly, transcribe interviews all the time. So it helps. It helps so much.
1: Well, I took typing with my friend Phil, and who sat behind me, and all we did was... We both learned how to type wonderfully because all we did was sit and just t- try to type the most pornographic <laughs> shit about all the girls in high school, and we pass it back and forth. And I swear to God, I learned how to type. I can, I can type, man, for real. And that's how I learned. And it's hu- yeah, and it's hard to- and because while I'm sitting there typing, like I'm just nasty, nasty stuff. If the teacher looked over, I couldn't be going, like, one finger. I had to actually look like I was doing it, right? It, it's, and
3: then it, once you do it, it's so hard to
1: watch people not do it right. Yeah. Like, I feel like, that,
3: like, it was like someone would be like, all right, and like and it's like, I'm like, okay, come on. Like, I can just write it. And they're like, no, no, I got this. And I'm like, oh, how do you, like, live like this?
2: <laughs> yeah, I learned, how to, I learned how to type pre-keyboard. And uh, it was, like, literally in, in Europe at a class where you just sat there and the teacher would go, space, 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 stop space 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 stop and by the end of it you know everybody was typing and it was 12 years old it was like the most beneficial thing yeah ever it's huge and then note taking like i no one taught me that but i just got in the habit of being able to listen and transcribe everything someone was saying and all that did was save me money in college because i'm not going to spend money on books these things are expensive
3: yes well someone's telling me today like teachers you know everyone takes notes on their laptops and everyone has wi-fi so like Teachers will be lecturing, and kids are just like on Facebook, right. like on their computer. Ke- like, that, that to me blows my mind. Yeah. Oh, God.
2: I would just, I would, oh, man, I would have so much porn on just to offend everyone <laughs> behind me. <laughs> <laughs> and I'd be like, I'm taking, my, not? Fuck you. <laughs> you're distracted by this? Wait, how? Grow can, up.
1: Can you, you can get porn on, on your, com- on a computer?
2: Oh, well, see, they have this thing called private browsing that I learned about. <laughs> so you don't have to keep deleting your history if you're married. <laughs> <laughs> and you just leave that alone or you make sure your wife has her own computer or ipad these are things i've heard <laughs> nothing i've discovered by my own personal usage uh speaking of porn buddy nielsen from census fail is on today yes buddy and I, I say that because buddy uh when i first met him he had very few tattoos and now he has many many tattoos and uh one time he he showed me a tattoo he just goes like dude check this out He's like bloody boobs. And he lifted up and on his leg was just like this severed torso of like this this cat attacking these people. And one of them was like a naked woman. And I remember going, Right on, buddy. Good stuff. But God, Census Fail. I think I started talking to Census Fail when they first started. Like, oh yeah. Like like long, long time ago. Well, I guess about like eight, nine years ago. And um my band is still going strong. They've got Jason Black from Hot Water in them. Playing bass, uh, wait, Matt Smith from Strike Anywhere. Yep, he's in. He plays guitar in Census Fail, and they have a Greatest Hits out. Census Fail, check out their Greatest Hits package. I don't know if they have the videos on there, but they should because they put together some really cool videos.
3: It's a it's a double CD. What? And it has four new tracks, which were recorded by the amazing Brian McTurnan. He's a good dude. And it's a celebration of ten years of work.
2: Right on. Yeah. See? Very impressive. Celebrate. Told you I've been around for a while talking to him. So, uh, Buddy, and you're going to hear all about what Buddy's doing now. And, um, uh, yeah, Buddy Nielsen, Census Fail. Lots of fun stuff. It's going on track! Uh, I want to talk about, obviously, your band and the inception of it because Census Fail is one of those bands who. Uh, Unlike a lot of bands, still around uh-huh, which is good. That's true. Um, has gone through a number of lineup changes mm-hmm. and has recruited members of me and Steven's favorite band yes, into your that's band the key. Yeah. again and again, which yeah. is a pretty We're impressive feat. Yeah. yeah. So, because first I remember when uh, well, it's actually out of the gate. You guys had a, a lineup change. Yeah, when I pretty first much. Met you. Yeah. Heath mm-hmm.
4: entered the band.
2: Yeah, I remember when Heath came in.
4: Yeah.
2: And because uh, had like one guitar player was just super
4: young. Yeah. Yeah.
2: And remember, super young and automatically got a chest tattoo, which I thought was bold.
4: I did too. Yeah. That was a bad move. Yeah. I mean, I don't really care. I don't either. But it, I just
2: kind of like, I, I, I didn't have any convic- conviction to choose what pants to wear
4: at 20, much less. Yeah, but that wasn't necessarily, I wouldn't say conviction. That was just <coughs> being, you know, an idiot. It wasn't necessarily, con- <coughs> it, it, it wasn't necessarily any sort of... Uh, I mean, when I did it, I made a point and I said I was going to do it because I don't want to I don't want options to do anything else. Mm-hmm. And that that's why I did it. That's kind of why I did <laughs> get a neck tattoo and get my hands tattooed is because I wanted to say, hey, I'm not going to do anything else. But, I, you know, I don't necessarily think that was necessarily well, you smart. We
3: know, it's you know crazy, though, is I feel like. It's, tattoos are so acceptable now i feel like in people with neck tattoos <laughs> are going to be ceo like it's not going to yeah. be a big deal i feel like at that
4: time it was like 10 years that. ago
1: it was no, totally different it was definitely like it's different changed I, mean, a lot. I definitely
4: think it was different there weren't as many kids running around with neck tattoos right. and stuff so mm-hmm. i remember when i did it it was i don't want to say it was a big deal or anything but it was definitely like you know you looked around at the music scene and there wasn't a ton of people that totally. that had taken that step but i don't now, remember when you did it
2: yeah. I literally remember when you did it, when you showed up with the with the tattoo, I was like, it's Sailor Jerry, right? And you're yeah. like, yeah. yeah. Like I have a I have the Sailor Jerry pint glass yeah. set. So I stare at your neck daily. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Excuse me. Swallowed some straw, apparently. Um so out of the gate, the band starts and you get popular. because uh, we were seeing you, I remember the first Taste of Chaos tour. Yep. That was
4: that was <laughs> very that was very you know, that's never gonna happen again.
2: Nope. You played that and then uh, that was, I think, before Heath from Midtown yeah, came in. Yeah, that was before Heath. So the lineup shifted. So basically, to borrow a quote from Dave Grohl, you people got to see what happens with bands before their record deal happen. As you're recording, you got to see lineup changes and the band shift its focus into whatever members it had.
4: Yeah, definitely. You know?
2: It's like you always say, the Beatles. The Beatles was a five piece, and what we saw was what ended up. You know. Yeah. So uh, when how did Census Fail start? Was it all you? Did you put it together? And how has it progressed to where it is now?
4: Um, yeah. I guess it it's myself, uh, Garrett Zablocki, who actually is no longer in the band, mm-hmm. and Dan Trapp, who is still in the band. Uh, Garrett and I actually got together in two thousand. Um, just I he there was used to be this message board in New Jersey. It was like one of the first sort of like you know community online social media whatever you know get out ben thing um so he, you know you post in a section you know musicians wanted or things like that and people would put bands together and he you know had a you know like minded bands it was i think it was like the, you know i like the get up kids and gray gray area and and um grade and you know Promise ring and that sort of stuff saves the day and and I was like oh I like these bands and you know, why don't we get together and jam and I had been in some terrible punk band before that was my high school band called Anti Clerical which means literally bad religion it literally yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's the same exact thing <laughs> that's amazing yeah so me and those two guys two of the guy members of Anti Clerical came over to Garrett's and we jammed and could have just called it non secular yeah non same thing. And, <laughs> And they weren't into it because they didn't listen. We – you know, I – up until that point, the most outside of punk music I got, like, was – was, like, Ensign. Like, I didn't even listen to a lot of hardcore. I only listened to, like, old punk and old punk, you know, you know, like, English punk and Bad Religion and Rancid and, and that type of stuff that was going exploited on. Split GBH. Yeah, that sort of stuff that was – you know, going on in the 90s. And so I didn't really hear about Saves a Day or any of the, like, local bands until I met Garrett. And then that was in, like, 99 or around that time. So then I got turned on to all that other type of music, and I was like, oh, this is pretty cool. It's like a mix between hardcore and, and, and it's melodic, and it's some, you know, mix of, like, indie rock stuff, mm-hmm. you know, because I did like some indie, you know, I did like some, like, emo music, you know. Promise ring. Were, were you always in? Were you always the singer in these bands? No, when I, since this fell first started, I played guitar because we couldn't find a singer, and um, we had a short-lived run in 2000 where we got together. I was playing guitar with a whole different members. We couldn't find a singer. Then I started singing. We, you know, it was the beginning of senior year, right before 9/11 happened, and then 9/11 happened, and and it was kind of like I just I was like, well, I don't know what I'm gonna do with my life here. And, you know, it was I was like, Am I gonna go to school? Am I gonna try to do this band? The band didn't really seem to be going anywhere. It was called Census Fail. We called it that. Mm-hmm. Um But we didn't even you know, play a couple of shows, we didn't really do anything. So we just you know disbanded for a little while and uh I pursued, you know, maybe going to school or and did, you know, what you do when you're a seventeen year old kid in high school. And then our old guitar player who used to be smoked pot and jerked off yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah exactly our old guitar player who used to be in a band with Garrett called him up and was like hey man you know I want to start a band and he's like well I got this kid that sings and, I, and you know maybe we could put something together and they found Dan and that's sort of in 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 February of 2002 is when we sort of really started and went did recorded our first songs and started playing our first shows and that was when it was a really, really so kind of started. A, Pretty, you
3: drive through initially, right?
4: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That was, a, well, we put an EP out on a small label called ECA. There's guy Dave Conway who now manages like Never Shout Never and a couple bands uh, works with uh, Dirk over at yeah, Doghouse. He, he found the band. He's the first person that ever contacted the band that was like, hey, I want to put your music out. So he did a thousand run of a CD for our EP. Where did he see you? I don't know. I think he just found it online on mp3.com where everybody that was like, you know, that was the only place to find music unless it was signed to a label or you were a local band passing out demos, you know. That was the only So he heard us on there you know in August of 2000 No, no, no. In like June July of 2002 is when we put that out with his label, and then soon after that, Drive Through heard it, and they, I think in August, uh, you know, came out, saw us play, and then asked us to sign. So when I first heard
2: you guys in 2004, yeah, uh, like fall of 2004, uh, that's pretty. It's a pretty quick rise, two years
4: for a band, for a young band. Yeah, I mean, but that, you know we think things worked a lot differently back then and i you know <laughs> back I'm, then is like not
2: even 10 years ago that's what kills
4: me but it's still been I mean, 10 years of music and 10 years of of, of the way technology uh, advances nowadays is a very long time it's i mean it's a whole generation of style of all kind of popular popular style it's it's 10 you know r- right now 10 years is 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 is, is as much as 25 you know, I, I think. You
2: know. No, I I agree because I you know as as someone who went to high school in the eighties, yeah, when the biggest electronic change was CDs, mm-hmm. that was it. Boom, yeah. and that's like steering every conversation to the singularity,
3: which I feel like is totally like happening now. I feel like the technology thing, like oh the, yeah, the rapidly exponential thing, but is music? I think it's yeah, such a great example.
2: Oh yeah the the accessibility of it all and music was actually young bands starting out were more at the forefront than, you know, the labels who are still stuck in the buggy whip era. They're still trying to pretend that it's, uh, you know, in distributing and whole It's like now they're kind of grasping at the online stuff, you know?
4: I mean, that's the thing. Well, now the thing is everybody, there's just a fundamental problem with the way people are understanding how music works and, and how, everybody everybody the labels managers the bands people don't understand that now the internet is 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 a vacuum it's not this you know it's not this discovery tool like it, it used to be it is still a discovery tool it's one of many things but it is now so cluttered and such a vacuum that you you don't stand out any more than you used to. I think census fail, and a lot of our bands like i we're really lucky that i we got to be a part of music when we got to be a part of music because i don't know if that's ever going to happen again for independent music i don't know if it will that was the rise of independent bands and independent labels being able to dictate and achieve success on their own terms without the help of major labels and that was i almost think that and maybe even if you throw in some of the like mid-90s stuff that happened i think that no 1994 95 up until like 2005 2006 was i think the whole coming out party for independent labels Mm -hmm. and independent music being able to to Mm -hmm. actually impact music and culture in 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 a in a in a I don't want to say in, in an actual meaningful way. And- well, it's a
2: cyclical cycle. It's like for what happened with the punk scene in the 80s with Black Flag, Minor Threat, and those bands blazing a trail because they were, if you read uh, Our Band Could Be Your Life, you know, it's them playing in clubs that no one ever played for. Yeah. You know, and literally, and then having their own labels because no one else put that out. Then, fast forward 10 years, you have what you're talking about with, you know, with Jade Tree and Victory and labels yeah. like this being able to push things out. Then, you know, you're on the cusp of that. You're a young band in the early, what do you call it, the 2000s. first ten years? The two thousand, the Naughties.
4: Like um, you call them just right. The two thousands, early two thousands, yeah,
2: the twenty Yeah, and you know that was. That was, you know, the apex of. You're exactly right of the indie bands because then all of a sudden major labels started grabbing, you know, yeah, their I mean, bands. we
4: came along at the perfect time when you talk about like Hot Water and some of the bands before. They almost came along a little too soon. Yeah. Mm-hmm. they came along. Um, they came along a little bit too soon, and the bands like Thursday and Saves the Day and and Census Fail and and uh, you know the Used and brand new and all those bands and thrice everybody we came along at they at the exact right time where Mm -hmm. people were like there's all these bands there's this whole music scene people care about it they're spending money on it they're going to shows they're buying records we need to get involved and we were the bands that got the shot at the next level you know whereas hot water music lifetime things like lifetime promise ring yeah. Fuck, you know, I, I mean you can go down the list of all those bands that influenced directly Census Fail and Brand New and, and and Thursday and all that stuff. You know what's
2: funny is the one band that made it through was Jimmy Eat World.
4: Yeah. Yeah, Jimmy like, Eat World was, was probably it. the only band that That band's
2: an exception to so many rules. Yeah. Completely.
4: yeah. I mean, they were probably the only band that, that actually rode through it all and 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 came out and and rode the wave through the whole thing, whereas a lot of the bands Broke up or didn't mm-hmm. see the same amount of success. <clears throat> but, you know, we came along at the exact right time and that, you know, managing bands now and working at a label now, you, you, you start to see the cycle start over again. You start to see where you're working with these small bands that are doing a lot of the same th- things that all the bands were doing back then because right now there is no outlet for, you know, a punk rock band the, the radio doesn't care. Pop, people listening to everyday popular music are not interested in hearing anything like that. It's just not what's going on. So, you And that's the way it was You know, when a band like Hot Water was around. Nobody wanted to hear Hot Water. No one wants to hear Hot Water on the radio. That was right. not an option. That was not something that was going to happen. There was not going to be brands getting behind it. There was not going to be this push for a band like that. Um, and it's the same way now. And what, what label are you working for I work for staple records which okay. which I actually work for it's called workhorse music group and oh. it's staple records density records and it is workhorse music group management um it's a part of vagrant records okay it's a new label group they started uh it's like staple is census fail thrice um, we're looking for like-minded bands like that that sort of thing density is metal like mm-hmm. a you know, Century Media, yep. Metal Blade type thing. And then we have a management company folded into that where we manage uh, this band called The Story So Far. Yeah. And then... Um, I was reading about them in AP. I mean, this is a great example of a band that is in a position that Census Fail was in where you just blow up. You know, you just there's just something, people decide they like it. But the problem is with music right now is that there's no outlet to the next level. And that's very much what it was like in the late... 90s after the Green Day, after the Rancid, after, you know, after offspring. the uh, offspring that blew up, did its thing, kind of died down, went back down and to an underground thing. And then there were people the reaction to that was starting more emotional, more aggressive sort of punk. And that was, you know, the mix, I think, of
2: we had the flip of like promise ring and dismemberment
4: plan versus yeah. at the drive in. Yeah. Yeah. That drive in um, there. And all that. Those- yeah. You had all that shit going on and that wasn't going anywhere. That was not going to be popular. It was not going to be massively popular. You know, but then until now. Yeah. 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 You no, know, <laughs> but you see, I look at these smaller bands now and you go, There's no outlet for this. So right. either these bands are either going to have played music in a time that will be remembered as wow, this was a fucking cool time for music and none of these bands got what they're owed, and maybe in ten, fifteen years people look back and they're the bands that are getting back together and doing Coachella and, and doing these things but i don't know if there's room for some of these bands to have the success Census fail had and our peers of you know my and thrice we go through all those bands i don't know if the bands right now are going to be able to have the success of selling the amount of records or drawing the amount of people as as we did you know and another good example is like data remember i mean this band you couldn't think of a bigger band in 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 the you know 14 to 20 year old alternative music, but they're not going to be on the radio. They're not going to be pushed anywhere outside of that.
2: But I think that's, that's interesting is that's, that's, um, it's a great book. Uh, I read, there was oddly enough, like a, a, a fun, almost like mystery story, but it was by a comic book writer. It was a writer named Warren Ellis and the book, uh, Talks about how there is no mainstream anymore.
4: It's the, hard. I mean, the, the underground is, is so. Is, there well, is a mainstream. Well, it's, it's I mean, there is. The underground is so popular. Like, like if you, we go see a the underground is so. There's so many different genres, and that's the thing is, is there is still a mainstream, and there, there, it's evident. I mean, if you I mean if you look at you look at um, a band like the Foo Fighters. I mean, these are exceptions of, but there, anybody that ever gets popular is going to be an exception to. At all, yeah. But would Foo Fighters have started out at such a level,
2: and would would they have gotten to where they are now without the ex drummer of Nirvana in it? You know what I mean? I don't know. So that that's that's the hard though question because Nirvana
4: because probably not. I mean, I mean, probably uh, maybe not. I mean, but then but you look at Adele, you look at somebody like Adele, which is of course you know the exception to the rule. But that is that is mainstream. There is still a mainstream. It's just designed right now, I think people are going to look back on the last couple years of music of the early 2010s or whatever you want to call them Mm -hmm. as almost very much like a disco time for music. That that pop music was very much centered around partying, was very much centered around going out, Mm -hmm. it was very much lively it was um, a completely different kind of approach to pop music that wasn't centered around um, uh, like Music being listened to for anything other than social entertainment, and and that remind, that's why I liken it to disco because disco was about going out. It was about a reaction to, um, a reaction to the the time frame of of the drugs of of the promiscuity of, and, and I think that well,
2: disco that that scene celebrated excess, and while there were good songs sprinkled throughout. The majority of it wasn't it was very like it's
4: very similar to what's going on now because it is is very similar but it's very similar and i think that the reason you come disco blanketed came on the tails of vietnam it was a way it was a way to i think you had like if you talk to anybody in any band from the tri-state area that was making music in the early 2000s. Everybody was directly affected by 9/11. Like you, senses felt like I directly made a decision to be in a band because I felt that at a time when you're 17 and you're not faced with your question of mortality, you're quite, you're faced with that and you go shit. Like. I could end up doing something I don't want to do and I could die tomorrow. So I'm going to do what I want to do. The Thursday, same thing. You know, Gerard from My Chem, same thing. You know, and, and our music was a direct reflection, I think, of a lot of the sadness and a lot of, of the... Um, I'd say anger more than sadness. A lot of anger and sadness and a way to put that out. And I, specifically the bands that put, came and kept putting out music after 9-11. I think you have a generation of people that you know, all my friends... I don't want to say all my friends, my girlfriend, and a lot of my friends are veterans that went to Iraq, that fought, that fought in these wars. And I think there's a almost a generation gap between that time and the time we're living in now. There was a split. I don't know when it occurred, but th- that occurred. And now I think people are trying to blanket a lot of that, not not purposely. I mean, this is all subconsciously and how you know I think society moves. But we're no longer. Like, yes, the economy is bad, and and that is, you know, that is, of course, something that it directly affects people and impacts the way they consume and what they consume and, and, and what they're interested in being a part of. But I think people are wanting to move away from a lot of the negative, like, you know, year 2000 through 2010, like, it's been a shitty decade yeah it was was a shitty decade if you really want to think about a lot of the things that happened and, and and a lot of the things america did and a lot of the things we've lived through i mean you lived through two wars you know a lot of people coming back with problems uh emotionally physically a lot of my friends a lot of people that i know and then you have the economy collapsing in 2007 it's been a shitty year so i think i mean 10 years, you know, obviously I've had a success and, but if you look at everybody as a whole, I think it's been kind of a downer. And I think census fails music and a lot of the bands that started in the early 2000s were a reflection of that. And I think now pop and pop and popular music was willing to accept stuff that was maybe a little bit more, more depressing and a little bit more uh, avant garde and a little bit more reflective but now I think nobody wants to be reflective. I think.
2: Well, you know what I think attributed to that is that there was, for lack of a better term, a name to it. Emo. That was a dumb sentence. A lack of a better term. It, it was called about term- Emo,
4: and it was the Emo movement. Well, it was Emo. I think more, I mean. Whatever. You scream- well, exactly. Screamo, Emo. Screamo, whatever. How
2: are you going to put it together? Because um, I remember Emo. I listened to him. Yeah. yeah. Whatever. He gives a shit. Um, but there, there, was, there was a name to it. And I'm thinking about, we're talking about A Day to Remember. Super popular band has a great draw. Fans flock to them. It's a very youth-oriented they were part, they're band. They're not part of
4: a movement. They they're not
2: part of a movement, There's nothing yeah. to identify that band. They were like... there was Someone tried to throw a name to it, and I think all it came to was uh, Newfound with Breakdowns. Yeah, and then I, mean, I found that, yeah. out Chad Gilbert produced it, and I went, well, yeah, that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. Well,
3: yeah, it just... I mean, yeah, it just seems to me like taking parts of different genres and putting them together. Like, to me, there's no innovation there. To me, it's more like jigsaw pasting or something.
2: Right. And your and your band was was part of Census Fail uh, has a sound where my chem has a sound where the use has a sound where they they went together, which is why when Taste of Chaos first started, that was an amazing tour. It was mm-hmm. you guys uh used my chem static lullaby mm-hmm. uh Under
4: oath Kill Switch. Yeah Kill Switch oh yeah that was amazing. Whatever I mean was... I think what I was to tie up what I was saying was towards the end of the decade younger people making music who had not been exposed to who did not have friends going off to war who did not have friends coming back from war who did who were not of the age where they were directly affected by the economy economic collapse started making music that was more reflective of just having fun, and instead of being mired down in some of the bullshit and what their lives had been like, they started making music reflective of of good times mm-hmm. and about more shallow stuff, and that is what is popular now. Shallow music is what is popular. Music that you you... Is party music is background music. Who would, that,
2: you, who would you define as the shallow musicians? Like, or, uh, or shallow, like Pit,
4: shallow. Pitbull and and Skrillex. Like these guys, they make music and it's fine. I have no problem with it, but it's not music. You sit down and question. It's not thought provoking music. It's not giving you new ideas about. You're not reading the lyrics and going, "Wow, that made me think about my life." You know, mm-hmm. it's very much music for the sake of being heard and not digested. And Skrillex has lyrics? I haven't paid attention. No. Mind. I have no idea. <laughs> no, but you know, like, the, I'm just thinking if you listen to the radio, if you mm-hmm. hear pop music, like, mm-hmm. a lot of what people want to consume on the larger level and more ba- and more mainstream level is stuff that isn't thought-provoking.
3: Because well, of, if... Yeah. Because I, of, why do you think that is? Just I mean, I think a reflection that people, of
4: the times? Yeah, I think it's a reflection of the times, a reflection of the newer, newest generation. Um, I think there's there's, you know it's just not the time for people to reflect on that. Whereas back when I think in the early two thousands and, and in through the two thousands, people were young kids were looking for answers to real things. Of course, kids are doing that nowadays. I, I, every teenage kid goes through that, you know, right. and there are those bands for them and they do find those bands and there still is that scene and there still are people. But I, you know, I, I think that, when you're not faced with tragedy like that, you're not ever really faced to look inward, you know, when you don't have tragedies and you're not looking around and and simple questions like, okay, you know, I'm 18, my friend just you know because that's the way it was for me and a lot of people it's like you're 18 your friend went into the marines now there's war you know like so you, you literally had a lot of friends who yes were the i service. have at least 20 friends you know wow. and, and like so i mean if you read like anything about generations and how they go and this the the generation people born in the 80s um and late 70s is considered i forget uh what what it's called but um there's generational swings where mm-hmm. people there's there's people you know if you grew up in the 90s 90s are fucking awesome like no war you know, great economy everything is up you had the internet being created you had so much innovation and so much job growth and so much you know so many um, you know like just massive amounts of of success pumped into the people entering the workforce and the people give or take a few Columbines. Yeah, of course, of course. But you know, Columbine is a blimp, a blip on the radar compared to, you know, it is true. The, the, the U S being attacked for the first time Mm -hmm. since Pearl Harbor. And then a lot of the people that, you know, going off to war and, and obviously, you know, not dying, but still you go to war, you don't come back the same and, and you, you approach life differently. And, and you know,
2: yeah, trust me. My father was drafted. I grew yeah. up. I grew up. This, so, this, this is how I grew up. Yeah, was all over the world, living in different places. So I and think that. I
4: think that there is some correlation between the music that was popular in that time and the people that represented that generation. You know, and the difference in the generation now and what's going on. I think people are very isolated, and there's also safer places to sit. You know, as far as when you're a teenager and when you're you can really immerse yourself in 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 the 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 gauze of of your social interaction with people nowadays you can really filter what you want to get and what you don't want to get
2: well that is true with 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 specific you know play old guy card but the generation of now it's more interaction through typing you know i mean cuz it's
4: weird because i've seen i've been in the music scene before the internet was mm-hmm really what it is now and after and you know it's night and day i mean it's it's going you know it's 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 the culture is night and day and there's i think the internet does mostly good and they talk about that on the joe rogan podcast on how if you look at the places that have the internet and and i think society is moving towards a better place globally because the more information people have the more good people do people gravitate towards doing good. Oh, yeah. People make decisions about their lives based on the information they have, and mm-hmm. if the information they have is that you know we carry guns and we don 't like same sex marriage, and that is what their world is that 's what they gravitate to you know and as soon uh, uh, and with the internet there you like I said, you can filter in and filter out.
2: You know. Yeah, I remember having a conversation with my mother when Katrina happened. Like, this is just so awful. This is terrible. And My mom went. there have always been awful. Floods like this. It's
4: always. It's always. You can, yeah.
2: But now we all know about it, and that's and good.
4: You know about more, and you feel it more. And I mm-hmm. just, I just think that that the internet as a as a living, breathing thing, as a society, I think we're moving more towards using it for good. Like, yes, of course. There's. Bad things
2: that come from the internet. Well, you know, with the with the Cispa law just being passed, we'll see if it continues to be that good. Yeah,
4: <laughs> but I, I mean, you're going to find ways around it. There's always. I mean, the internet is is a form of culture now. It's not. Mm-hmm. It's it's no longer this static thing. It's it moves with culture and 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 culture and people define what it is. You know, and it was made to share information, and that's what it's used for. And that's at its most powerful and basic. You know. Um, you know mode that's what it is it's sharing information and, and i think it's cool to see how it's been used and how it can be used and how it's reflected i think it's made the world a better place you oh. know people being able to share that information and being able to share their lives and i think also too it, it allows people to discover And be happier because they're able to discover things that they wouldn't be able to experience. Whether it's dealing, you know, of course, you know, working out sexual frustrations through the internet. Like you you just think stupid things like that that people don't really take into consideration that don't talk about. Sexually repressed people are people that are going to eventually be people that, you know, turn around
2: and oppress people. Are you talking about the argument that the more porn on the internet like lessens sexual
4: crime? Well, not even sexual crime. I just think the more people are exposed to the more gut wrenchingly honest, open f- process of humanity, people are open to, the less they will want to demean other people for um what they do. Well,
2: yeah, yeah. If you have you know if you have a up, I mean, sexually, if you have a yeah. proclivity that, that you think <laughs> is yours and your own, and you feel weird about that, you will find a website for it, yes. and you will feel. Yeah, more I mean, comfortable. Now, I want to ask about, uh, since since we've gone to the internet... Uh, there's like one more thing I just want to ask about while we're on this subject. I'm so sorry. I was, no, it's, it's <laughs> part of the internet. What's your question? We'll see if it's the same one.
3: Well, I, I, just about the military because I feel oh. like you're in a punk band and I feel like, you know, culturally people are more aware but I do feel there is a disconnect... You know, with the military, especially in your scene, like, I feel like the only interaction I've had where they converge is, like, on the Warped Tour, like, where we met, and, like, the Marines will come out and have a booth, and I remember Boy Sets Fire getting on stage and being bummed, this isn't a place for you to recruit people,
4: i I did know. that, too. I said that, too. I mean, I, I don't necessarily think that that's a good place to recruit people, but, I mean, I, I remember saying that. I said that one time, and that okay. bummed out uh, the guys in Dropkick Murphy, and I and I said that and Thomas from Strike Anywhere said that and you know I thought it was well it's expected from well it's different when you're at war too it's different when you are at war that was a different time like right now I don't think I'd have the same reaction to the Marines being at Warped Tour one because my girlfriend is a Marine right Um, two because I'm older and I'm wiser and I understand things better and you're not so quick to just it was like maybe 2005 2006 and you're talking on the heels of 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 going of America going to a war people didn't want to go to and were misled to and that's right now there was still argument about there's no argument that that war will go down as 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 a war that America was falsely led into i mean you could argue about it back then it was still you know up for debate i mean everybody knows now it, it, it nobody you know it was under a different Premise for sure. So you're you're you know you're young then, and you're dealing with that, and you have this almost sort of disdain for the government and military. And it wasn't disdain for people in the military; it was disdain for the people that are sending the military there. And I Mm -hmm. think that that's what it was. It wasn't necessarily. I think everybody Mm -hmm. now learned their lesson from Vietnam. I think veterans. On the whole, by people, not I'm not. This is not like how government is taking care of veterans or anything. But people are respectful. The average person is very respectful of anybody that went and served. You know, or you know, in in the military. Even more so. Now, Even more so now, because
2: yeah. you join voluntarily. I mean, t- my my father <clears throat> was drafted, did not want to join, yeah, and decided to go. Did not you know get rid of his draft card like he knew people who did. He went and mostly that was economic reasons he was married had a kid my wife my wife hi <laughs> uh, yeah. my mother was still in college yeah and it's a job you know yeah. what i mean it was early 70s so it was a gig and he was a college grad so he became an officer but um he while in training went to a mall and he had his you know uh fatigues on and a kid spit on him and called him a baby killer he hadn't even been over there yet you know and now and nowadays it's you get on a plane and if there's a soldier like it's they get off first they get on first and yes they should be on life i know because whenever we're on a plane and there's a soldier uh my wife starts sobbing and and which is awesome like they deserve that because it's something they're choosing to do they weren't conscripted in they you know you're not you know someone from a poor class who's drafted you know there there wasn't um uh, you know, you're not someone of privilege yeah, who yeah. didn't get in, which is my other argument, because my dad, you know, his my grandfather had money, and my dad still got drafted, so it's just a whole different uh, can of worms. But I do believe that the majority of people uh support the troops did not support the, the conflict, yeah. you know?
4: And I think that that still remains true. And- yeah. So I don't know. I mean, that definitely, I mean, it was a different... But you, you feel that attributed to
2: People of your generation and the kinds of songs you were writing and how that was a specific, a specific place in time, a specific emotion, because a lot of the emotions of Senses Fail, all those bands we spoke of uh, was
4: literally anger and melody. Yeah. I mean, you know, obviously I didn't directly write about those things, but I think the time you live in and and what, you know, it directly affects the music you're making. <clears throat> I mean, my, my my songs are about completely different things, but you know, you 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 know you deal with your own personal things, and then you have the global things going on, and those also affect you. Whether you want to pretend like they don't or not, or want to accept that those things actually affect society, you know, because some people you know will argue that that doesn't affect people as a whole and as a group. But I, I mean, I think it does. You know, I think it does. So.
2: So how did you get Jason Black and Matt wait? Smith hold on, in your band? I,
4: I, I, I had the best segue for this. That Damn, I it, wanna that was use. a
2: good segue.
3: Listen, to this one. Speaking of the draft, Jason Black was in a band called The Draft. How did he end
4: up in your band? That's a good one. Wow. Yeah, that was a really good one. That's his really good. <laughs> I've been saving it. Damn. All right. Uh, yeah. Uh, we need a bass player because our bass player, uh, Mike Letta, he quit after in 2007 after we did a tour with Newfound Glory. Um, and we, you know, record with McTernan and McTernan done all the draft and hot water stuff. And he was like, dude, I got this amazing bass player. And we were like, yeah, fuck. I mean, Turner was doing from hot water. Turn was doing everybody Cause, cause for a while.
3: You did a show at the Knitting Factor, I think, before he was an official member. Yeah. Yeah. I saw that.
4: Yeah. We had been trying. We had a manager then at that time that, you know, whatever, um, <laughs> We were doing a showcase for a label because, you know, we had – our vagrant deal had been up. And okay. we were like, all right, well, let's see, you know, what we could do. And, it, you know, that's why we did that show. And he played and that was the first show. No, the first show with Jason was – Man. Was there a show before that Knitting Factory show? Yeah, I I, I don't
3: know because I remember his first that show was. was like I heard like a room. Someone's like Jason was playing Census Fell. I was like, no way, that's yeah. so
4: weird. And yeah. then I got
3: there and I was like, that guy's definitely Jason yeah, Black. Yeah, he's wearing yeah. a hat and he's
2: tearing it up. Yeah,
4: no, I don't I don't know what his first show was. Honestly, that Wh- was one of his first
2: shows. How that had
4: that happen? What's the relationship with Jason? Huh, it's just friends with McTernan. And was like, hey, dude, same thing with you know Matt Smith from Strike Anywhere. so were, were you
3: like? Is that cool for you to kind of yeah. get these people using I mean, admired? I saw,
4: but I, mean, I went and saw Hot Water Music in 1999 at Wayne Firehouse. It was Hot Water uh, open, or was headlining Alkaline Trio. That was when Matt Skiba was wearing a pink shirt, and I was like, whoa, that's that's that's, like, that's pretty punk. I was like, he's wearing a pink shirt. Like, that's how. <laughs> Is that where you got it? <laughs> I don't know, but that's just, that's how funny things are when you look back in the past. Like, now a guy wearing a pink shirt's like. It's gone so mainstream that it's not even like you wouldn't even as an as a young male individual you wouldn't even think wearing a pink shirt would be cool because it's so accepted now. But in 1999, I, I don't know. I saw a dude at a punk show wearing you know p- playing guitar and b- wearing a pink shirt, and I was like, "That's pretty punk."
3: Yeah, and then Chris <laughs> Conley a couple of years later had pink hair, which is yeah. like that weird era where
4: something's forget about, and then I'll be watching videos on. Him, You're and like,
3: like oh, "Whoa, yeah, what? Like yeah. this happened? Oh yeah." yeah. yeah.
4: But it was them, it was, it was Hot Water headlined, Alcointrio, and Strike Anywhere opened. Wow. And Dashboard. Nice. Dashboard opened, Strike Anywhere, it was their first tour. Uh, Chris was driving around to the VW. The, the, it was 99, The first Vol- tour, right? yeah. yeah, so, yeah, you know, I was there as a fan. Actually, I don't even think I liked anyone. I just went. You no, know, because that's how it used to... I don't even... I knew of Alkaline Trio, and that was right when God Damn It came out, and I after, immediately after that got way into God Damn Isn't It. Isn't that
3: always how it works? I feel like I saw it driving driving a couple times. I was like, this is a crazy live band, and then I sort of started to get more into yeah. them, and I was like, I can't believe I didn't
4: appreciate it more when I saw them in this yeah, tiny didn't, club. It didn't, wasn't like that. It was that back then. That was how you discovered music. Right. You didn't discover it and go see it. You went to to see it to discover it.
3: Totally. And yeah. now I feel like it's hard to leave my house to see like my favorite band a block away from me.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I literally went to see Dismemberment Plan. I think I've told this before. And opening was Strike Anywhere, which just seems like a weird band to be yeah. opening. And I immediately, after like three or five songs, like walked right back to the merch and went, Give me that and give me that and give me that shirt and are the stickers free? And like Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean that
4: I love that. that, that band. So like I've it's weird because I've been you know it's weird you go i wasn't even in census fail i wasn't in a band i went to right. a show but um, you know matt smith is there and jason black is there right. and then they eventually end up in census fail so that's how uh, does that work Are they full members of census fail i mean i i not nah, i mean we don't really do f- the full members anymore because i mean we went through a really bad lawsuit with one of our ex-members so it's really kind of there's no there's no Real point to bringing anybody into the corporate structure of what the business is at this point,
1: mm-hmm.
4: because there's so many years of existence and it, it it's just messy when they want to leave. If somebody wants to leave, it's just it's, it's a pain in the ass. Mm-hmm. So I mean, Jason is yes, he's a full member where we you know we pay we split profit with him and stuff like that. But you know, it, it's it's very much not he's not signed in. You know, if we were went bankrupt and were sued he wouldn't get sued Right. He wouldn't be on the line or will he? I don't I got to
2: double check. I don't know. <laughs> so did, so did, so did Heath full on join the band and then full on left the band like it was off. Yeah, yeah Heath, yeah, okay. Yeah,
4: Heath full on was in Heath's the band. smart. So. Yeah. Heath full on was in the band and then had to sign, you know, a a a you know, we all signed papers that yep. said he was leaving the 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 company.
2: All that fun stuff that people don't think happens in a band and then you get into it. Yeah. and You're like, "Wait, we have to do this?" Yeah. It's odd there's a lot of that stuff now how did did you get into management because when i la- i just remembered when i last saw you it was warp tour with san francisco it was a few years ago uh shit 2008 i think and might have been 2000 i don't know you had a shirt on that was a white shirt that simply said census fail fuck you yeah which i enjoyed and you were you had a, a hand truck and you were getting ice and beer
4: that's when I started my career as I need to find something else to do. I started tour managing the band to to just learn like logistical stuff. You know cuz I said I said there's no way I'm going to make a living off this band for the rest of my life. It's just not possible. It's just not possible. What do I? What else do I want to do? I want to work in music. You know, what do I want to do? Manage bands, work at a label. How do I do that? Well, I gotta learn. I gotta learn how to do one thing. I can learn how to tour manage. I can learn how to settle shows. I can learn how to deal with money. I can learn how to be. You know, run a bus, do logistics, start making more contacts, start people recognizing. Oh, he's the kind of business guy in the band. He's doing that. He's 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 doing this. And then I did that for a while. And then you know. Last year, I was like, I'm going to try to manage bands, you know, because I felt like I had a good grasp on the logistics of touring and know enough people and have been through enough shit that <clears throat> I can start to walk a band through what they need to do in order to, you know, get their shit together. You know, so I started managing a band called Hostage Com. Um,. That was the first band I started managing, and then I picked up another band, and then I started working at this label that's now bankrupt. That was a fucking mess, and I'm upset that I was ever associated with it because mm-hmm. it makes me look bad. Um, and I got offered by our manager, who is the label manager for Vagrant, to be a part of this new thing. And him and I started managing this band together called The Story So Far, mm-hmm. and now I'm doing new media and A&R stuff for... How are you? Twenty-eight.
2: So you're 28 and you're you're, you're talking like, uh, you know, a 20-year veteran, which to go back to your earlier comment of 10 years yeah. is now 25 years in the music industry. And you've done all these things <clears throat> that bands can learn from. Well, I, plus I mean, you're in a band
4: that's still together, which is rare. Yeah. I mean, I toured before we had cell phones. So I feel like, you know, I've been, you know, I, 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 I've been there. I've been sued. I was... We were on drive through We got. Put, Line starts to the right got, about the suit. You know, we got put on <laughs> Geffen. We didn't want to be on Geffen. We went to Vagrant. We've had four managers. You know, everybody from the dude who used to manage the Deftones and System of Down to the guy who used to manage Good Charlotte to, you know, to smaller manager who used to, who still book shows in New York to Rich Egan, you know, to Van Vagrant. You know, I, I don't know. I've just been around a lot of shit and a lot of shit that failed and a lot of shit that was successful so i feel, I, I don't know I, I feel like i can come at it with a pretty good understanding of i know exactly what the band is thinking because i've been there and and i know what what they're going through i've gone through 10 million times and worse or and i can help to avoid them getting in situations that i got in and maybe you know i, just, I mean the thing is though with with bands as people don't realize and people don't want to admit it sometimes it just doesn't work like there are just bands that people like and they decide they like that band and that is it and no amount of promotion is going to make that band bigger or smaller they just become that band for that time and that's what happened with Census Fail and that's what happened with Thrice and that's what happens with the bands that stick around they make good music y'all have to have your shit together to keep it going for a long time. But the most important thing is you get the reaction from the people that listen to music and not, you can't force that down people's throats. And unfortunately it's just something that you have to realize when you get into the business side of things that like when you're in a band, you think that there is a key, a magic thing that somebody's not doing for you that would just, if they would just spend more money on print advertising, if we would have <laughs> just done a video, if we would have gone on this tour, we would have, made it you know no like, and now no, you're
2: learning from the management side there's
4: zero formula to that there you, there is a formula to keeping a band together and structured and finance financially sound as well as mentally healthy as a group there's no formula to people liking it you
2: just you just defined the ramones <laughs>
4: But what what do you say to
3: bands when when they come up to you and they're like what advice would you have for us like buddy having done this on both sides I
4: mean sides. I could sit down for 20 hours and talk to them I mean the, the, the you know the one advice that you 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 just have to accept that it might not work that no amount of hard that's the thing is it's the only it's the only one of the only being in a band I think is one of the only jobs you can do or any uh, entertainment business is a field where hard work doesn't pay off. Just not a it, hard work is just part of it. You know, it's not a defining factor. You know, you could work and maybe this is all true for all business. I mean, I don't really know. I haven't really worked in other businesses, but I, I feel like if you bust your ass at an office job and you're continually, you know, outperforming other people, like that, is, there is a formula to people recognizing that, and that being a ticket to move up. I might be wrong. You know, I don't know. I don't know if that's the way it was in TV or there is favoritism. I mean, there is that in everything. There TV, is that. TV,
2: absolutely not. Yeah. Not not at all. TV is... It's a form of entertainment though, you know. <clears throat> well, TV, you audition for years and years and years. And then if you get a job, <clears throat> excuse me, it's not about getting the job. It's about keeping the job. And that's the same thing. It's about keeping yeah. the popularity. Yeah. And, uh, you know, eventually... TV, the most popular series in the world, it's gonna can end, yeah. And then the people were on it who were the biggest stars yeah. forever are now. Oh, you were on that show.
4: That's all it was. I mean, that, I think any form of entertainment business, it's not <laughs> about the hard work. The hard work is a given. You have to work hard. Blah 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 blah. Yep. You're never gonna make it anywhere. But it's not like you. I feel like can work at, like a lot of my friends that went out and got bank jobs that you know destroyed the world and are. I think are are just. It's it. You know just fuck fuck them they make so much money and i don't they can't explain what they do and they're definitely not making any contrib- you know they're definitely not making any good contribution towards uh the world being a better place they're they're, they're not. like selling people's mortgages and stuff no they're just they're just collect they're just doing busy work and you know quietly you know by default making things worse um i feel like but if you bust your ass at one of those jobs You get noticed, you know, that that hard work Because a lot of people that go into most forms of of menial work like that want to coast. They're not people driven, you know, and if you show up to one of those jobs and you're fucking driven, I feel like you get rewarded for it. Whereas, you know, (laughs) your reward for being in entertainment is that you get to do what you love. It's not necessarily success. Or how much success, your reward for the hard work is you get to do what you love. Mm-hmm. You know, your reward for working hard in other, you know, more white-collar jobs is more money, more vacation time, that type stuff. Not doing what you love. You know, you've signed up to do something you don't really love Right, it's a job, and you were trained that I do a job. I have fun other places.
2: Well, some people work to live; some people live to work. Yeah, you know, it just it just depends and on how
3: you define moment. success. I think too. I mean, for me, I'd rather do something I like and have less money sitting in my bank account yeah. than commute into Midtown and be miserable.
4: Exactly, exactly. But then again, like I don't necessarily think the hard work that you put forth it always pays off on a certain level, but it might not pay off. In in terms of how far you get and how big you get as a band. That's kind of what I'm saying. Right, it's like, right. You might find success in what you're doing and be happy with it, which is the whole point, which is great. But that, that hard work might not necessarily lead to you being the biggest band in the world. Because there are bands that are huge that don't lift the finger and are the laziest people in the world and don't even know anything about their business.
2: Yes, it's hard to have that. It's hard to find objectivity
4: in something that's so subjective. Yeah, that, that's. I mean, that's it. Like hard. You know, usually, usually when people say hardworking band, it's an it's it's, it's a derogatory term used as a band that's not quite well-received and not doing well. You know, they're really hard-working. It's like, well, that means that nobody likes them. But, but Unfortunately. You, 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 no, just, that's
3: true. But also, the payoff can come at such an unexpected... Yeah. Way.
4: Like, look at Refuse. Like, they broke up in a basement
3: <sighs> 10 years ago. Now they're playing Coachella, huge festivals. Yeah. Like, they put in all that work, had, like, no payoff in those. sense. like, oh, wait, this playing... You know, like, it. sometimes it just happens in a
2: weird... No, you're right, way. you're right. They turned they, they turn into what you can't have. Makes you more popular. Yeah. You know? And you also defined... Anytime Joan and I go see a band where we're standing there next to twenty people in a room that holds three times as much, going, Why aren't people watching this
4: band? This band is so or, good. Or all
3: the time. I mean, I don't want to say names, but there'll be bands that get huge and I'm like, Why isn't Strike anywhere? Like it's like yep. the,
4: the, this- You just it's just it's just timing. Yeah. It's all a lot of it is timing and having the right sound at exactly the right time and making good music and then all the other hard work, making sure your shit in disorder depends pushes how far you go. You know, but you just got to be around at the right time. What's the, what's the definition of uh, luck? Uh, preparation
2: meets opportunity? Yeah. What do you think? Yeah. What is it?
4: <laughs> yeah. That, that's what it is. The yeah.
2: definition of luck is preparation meets opportunity. Yeah. There's no such thing as luck.
4: <laughs> I mean, you know what I mean, though? it's that, That's why being in a band is 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 hard and, and making it in the music. But it's also hard from the other side. It's like, dude, I hear bands all the time that I'm like, this is pretty good. But, like, when do you take... The chance to, you know, when do I put myself on the line to go to my boss and go, hey, this band? You know, I did it with Story So Far because I saw it and I just saw, you just saw, you just see it. You go, this reminds me of 2002, you know, seeing brand new play in a Legion Hall and there being a thousand people inside and a thousand people outside and it being just like madness, you know, and you're just like, okay, well, that. It, it, it's not, it wasn't on that scale when I saw a story so far, but it was co- comparative to now because it, it, it you, you're obviously not going to recreate that thing that happened on Long Island with all those bands in that time frame.
2: Well, the reason you did that is because your experience as a fan leading up to that point and as touring in a band and playing shows and seeing bands open for you and you headlining in bands you know, supporting you, you have an experience that's subconscious that allows you to go, this is going to go somewhere. Might not be MSG yeah you know? yeah might might be irving irving yeah. irving yeah. might irving might be you know their coliseum which is fine totally you know? fine but do you think with the
3: way everything's connected globally like a scene like seattle or even a scene like new jersey where it's like a community of bands together can even exist because i feel like I mean, that, it did exist it, it does did exist, exist. I mean, it does exist but right it now like, it
4: still exists right now i mean there is this thing going on in pop punk or whatever you want to call it in in the Pennsylvania, like the Menzingers. Well, no, I mean you know, like you have Man Overboard, Title Fight, uh, Balance of Composure, Menzingers, but you have Polar Bear You have all these bands. But the problem is, I don't know how big these bands are going to get. I want them to be fucking huge. I want them to be the same thing that happened with Census Fail that we were a part of. All that. I want right. those bands but to I get huge. I but I don't know if there's enough people that are going to be into the music. It's like, but I don't sa- think they need that anymore.
2: And, and, and I, believe this I know, is a I know. Sincerity. But in order,
4: in order to make it. In order to, like, how do I say, from, like, last.
3: But my my final question is, do you ever wish you could go, I mean, knowing everything you know now, yes. do you ever wish you were 19 and you were like, I just wish I could play music and just get in front of the crowd and sing and not know all this behind-the-scenes stuff and all the monetary, how that works now out? Now that
2: you know that there's someone behind the curtain, I mean, do you, do you have more you sympathy just- or do you wish that you didn't know?
4: No, I mean, I, 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 I wish that I, I wish that I knew, so I would go back. I would go back and make different decisions, and I would have made better decisions, and I would have made the band. Would I think the band would have, would ultimately be bigger and more successful, having gone back with the knowledge I have now? You know. I, I, you know, they, we would have been bigger and more successful because I would have known how to play it and I would have known what everybody was doing so I could tell when people weren't doing their job or were doing their job to the point where that maybe that person should have been doing this job instead of that job or, you know what I mean? It's like people, when you're in a band, you don't, and you're young, you're really young, so you don't know shit about anything. You know absolutely nothing. You don't know anything. You know. You know. You know how to play music. You know how to drink beer. That's it. You know, and that's usually what you stick to. And that's what I stuck to for a long time. And that's what a lot of bands do. And you hope that you know, as a band, the best thing you can do is put the people around you. You know, you have it, just be intuitive and be like. I think this person's gonna look f- out for us. And I th- usually, if you get smart people around you, you'll survive, you'll make it through, you know? And then you'll come to maybe learn all the aspects of the business and maybe work in the business. But I, I don't know. It's. Sounds like you're on your way, though. Yeah.
2: Here's what fascinates me about uh, Brad is is when we record the podcast. Brad has this you know computer set up, and there's all kinds of different colors and things over there. And to hear him talk about, it's like, ah, oh, it's easy. Just look at this, that, the other thing. But from where I'm sitting, it looks like Mission Control. <laughs> like it looks like you're sending us into space. I know Jenna's probably you know in a band. You've recorded this. Is
3: I have. I, I'm sort of familiar with Pro Tools, but I'm not nearly as
2: fast i sound familiar with amateur tools where you just, you know, hit record, play and record on your, you know, hold little microphone out. <laughs> think you're pausing, but you're really just shutting the whole machine off. That's how I do it. Amateur tools. Amateur tools, yeah. Yeah,
1: I, I think it's a great idea.
2: We should, we should sell that, amateur <laughs> tools. And we just send someone, you know, a pen and paper. <laughs> <laughs>
1: just write a song.
2: Thanks for your 50. Just write a song. <laughs> uh, you just heard Buddy talk a lot about what's going on with Census fail, a lot about the industry. Um, but he has some opinions on that, and uh, he's doing some cool stuff with some uh, bands that you may or may not have heard of right now. Actually, the story so far was just on the cover of Alternative Press not too long ago, I believe. Possible. I think, yeah, I'm pretty sure. Okay. Pretty sure. That that, that magazine shows up in the mail monthly, as magazines are wont to do. Yes.
3: Um, We didn't hear him talk about his greatest hits thing because we didn't ask him about it. <laughs> Which is I think is actually kind of awesome because if you're a fan, it's a greatest hits thing has new songs on it, then get it and if you're not, I'm sure there's lots of interesting stuff in that interview that you know you liked. That's
2: kind of how we roll. yeah, that's kind of our thing and you buy a roll. I mean we, we sit in a room and we, we talk with folks. Um, uh, see now here's the thing. Brad just clicked out of that screen <laughs> and he's just scouring through emails <laughs> because you're that good. Like seriously if we if we, we if we were, if we were, were sitting, you know, and we're we're working on you know do, doing a record. You know, if Brian McTernan was in here and you're recording something, and all of a sudden you see him on Facebook, <laughs> would you think, wow, that's impressive?
1: This is your. Fa- I wanted to bring up your favorite, though. I know how much you like this.
2: Oh yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Also, <laughs> um, as we haven't mentioned, we record in Rubber Track Studio, which is an amazing space in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. Uh, Converse runs it. Uh, check out their website.
1: There's the rehearsal room. And
2: right yeah. now, Brad has. <laughs> Every single room wired with a camera. And we're watching. <laughs> two dudes rapping. Two, one guy has his shirt off. Two dudes rapping. They're rehearsing, <laughs> but they're rapping. Here, let's check in on the A room and see what's going and on. Now we're checking oh. out all the rehearsal yeah, rooms.
1: Nothing there. I think they're, they're probably mixing. Here's the band. These guys are from uh, South Carolina. Oh, yeah. Wow.
2: Yeah. So is that where they have fireworks?
1: <laughs> Uh-oh
2: oh they're gonna light everything off oh no you can't light things in the studio (laughs) so anyway check out rubber tracks it's it's a fantastic spot we are blessed to be able to work here and by blessed we we mean that brad runs it so we get to come in (laughs) (laughs) all right next week on going off tracks more of this and uh mike we're gonna send him probably to norway